We're going to keep it G. Now nah, we'll keep it PT. Now nah, we'll keep it G. When we last left King David, he was on the run in all of Israel. And all of, he had a whole bunch of people with him. His son Absalom had started a rebellion and all kinds of people were joining with Absalom to chase King David. And Ahitophel, who was a counselor to King David and uh, became a counselor to Absalom. I had to be careful and not say King Absalom because I don't want to say that. Absalom. And he said, I was loyal to your father. I will be loyal to you. He said that, but he was called upon by Absalom. Absalom said, get me Ahitophel. Bring him to me. The other guy, Hushai, was loyal to David. And David said, I need you to go be a spy. And I need you to frustrate Ahitophel. Remember, Ahitophel was the, was the grandpa to Bathsheba. No, Bath, grandpa to Uriah. So he might have a little revenge play that he's been waiting on. So there's all this. The other thing that's going on in this whole event is there's a bunch of parallels between Jesus in the garden, being betrayed by Judas, going to the Mount of Olives, getting killed, rising from the dead, and King David being double-crossed, run out of Jerusalem, coming back. So some of that will come up. The one thing I forgot to mention last week, we were driving home and I was like, ah, I forgot to, I build up all this stuff between Jesus's passion and David, this whole event of David's. And um, so Ahitophel, the last thing we talked about was he gave advice to Absalom and Absalom didn't take it. And up until this moment, everything Ahitophel said, everybody thought, Man, he's got the words of God. Like what he says is straight from, you know, you'll hear people say, pray for me because I know it's straight from your lips to God's ear. Like they know, just think people think that you are just real close with God. Well, people thought that about Ahitophel. So when they followed Hushai's advice and not Ahitophel's, Ahitophel went and hanged himself. Just like Judas. So you've got this guy that double crosses the king and then realizes that he's done wrong. Maybe we don't know if Ahitophel realized he did wrong. It just says since he no one was heeding his words anymore. So he's out of the picture, but Hushai is still there. And Hushai said, get the whole army of Israel together, said this to Absalom, and then go after David. Hushai being careful not to say King David because then he reveals his real allegiance, right? So David, all those people, they cross the Jordan to get away and they get over to this other land and these people bring them all kinds of food and all, this is like maybe the second or the third time. Uh, this is in 2 Samuel 17, 24. David came to Mahanaim and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men. So Absalom and all of his army are right behind him, catching up. David and all of his people have been running all night. They never stopped. 
And this whatever, yeah. They give them a whole bunch of food and they help them. It even said they brought beds, basins, vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grains, beans, lentils, honey, curds, and sheep, and cheese. They really took care of them. They, this was not just like, here's some cliff bars, keep going. So then David decides to put his army together. He's been mostly passive this whole time, but now he puts together his army and he separates them into three groups. He's got a group under Joab, and we know Joab is a fighter. Joab's been a military leader for way back. Joab's men are going to be strong. They're, they are winners, right? Joab's brother, Abishai, again, the sons of Zeruiah, Joab, Abishai, and Azahel, those guys are fighters. They don't let people live, right? But then the third group is Ittai the Gittite. And Ittai the Gittite was the guy that led, Gittite is from Gath, from the hometown of Goliath. And when David was running from Saul, he lived in the land of the Philistines and had some kind of an amazing life around them that 600 of Goliath's hometown people would follow David back to Jerusalem and become Jewish. And then when the moment comes for them to flee, David says to them, you guys, you just got here. Stay in Jerusalem. And they say, you're our king. This is the first guy to call David King David when they were fleeing. So he shows his allegiance. So now you've got Joab's army, which is just whoo, like you got like Navy SEALs. You've got Abishai's army, which are like Green Berets. And then you've got Ittai, the Gittite. And these dudes are just savage. Like they're from a whole different country. They have a whole different set of weapons. They have a whole different fighting style. And they're with you too, right? So this is like battle of three armies coming. The other exciting thing that happens is that David, as he flees, remember he's an expert at fleeing and doing battle in unconventional ways. They go into this forest. And the forest, listen, listen to the description of this forest. The army went into the field against Israel and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. The men of Israel were defeated there. So when it says men of Israel, this is Absalom's army because he got all of Israel to go after David. The men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David. And the loss there was great on that day. 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, which means the countryside, not all of Israel. And the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. So more people died by falling off the cliffs, by getting hung up in trees, by having trees fall on them. I mean, like caves, just it's a mess. If you can imagine, we don't really see that in the, the, the movies we watch where all the people are fighting. Like you see them all hitting each other, right? 20,000 men died and most of them were killed by the forest. So that 
this, this sets up kind of how gruesome and how difficult it was to fight. This is not like Wesselman's Park, right? This is um, undeveloped. This is wild. There's probably going to be lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right? So there's animals in the woods too that are going to be attacking these guys. And, and uh, it's just bad. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about Absalom. And he had this beautiful flowing hair, right? And he only cut it once a year. And whenever he cut it, it weighed pounds and pounds and pounds. And everybody carried on about how handsome he was. And after all, he is the son of King David, who is super handsome. And probably the most beautiful of all of David's wives. And you get Absalom, okay? So, why would they tell us about his long flowing hair? And why would they tell us about how dangerous the woods is? You've read this before. If you've heard this, you know what's going to happen. Absalom happens to meet the servants of David. He's riding on his mule. Okay. I don't know how much I want to interrupt this today <laughs> and stop it. There's a whole bunch of really cool stuff that's written between the lines in this whole thing. So a mule was the machine that a king would ride on. It was a machine for plowing. It was a machine for working. But you can also read about King David's riding on a mule. King Saul was riding on a mule. They're always mentioned. So riding on a mule is his, is his place of authority. Okay, so hold on to that. He's riding on his mule. The mule went under a thick branches of a great oak. Okay, now we got to talk about this. So when they translate this oak, and probably you're, if you have an NIV, I think it says oak. When they translated it as oak, they translated it thought or uh, thought for thought. So when you think of an oak tree, you think of this stately, strong, powerful tree, right? Well, in their culture, it was a terebinth tree was what they thought of as strong, stately, sturdy tree. But it didn't look like an oak tree. It looked more like a crabapple tree, but it was super, super strong wood. So oak tree has really strong wood, a terebinth tree. A terebinth tree for a long, many, like a hundred years, they got turpentine from a terebinth tree. So a terebinth tree smells like turpentine. It has uh, wax and resin on it that's sticky and medicinal. You know, drink a gallon of turpentine to take away, I don't know, illness, whatever. So this thing is just branchy, branchy, low to the ground. So he rides by. There's this mighty, thick, strong, smelly tree. And his head gets caught in it. And he is suspended on heaven and earth while the mule that was on him ran off. So if sitting on a mule is a symbol of his kingdom, he just got caught in this tree and lost the kingdom. Does that make sense? His kingdom just ran off and left him hanging there. There's no mention of his hair here. There's some ancient rabbis that say that he got hung by his hair because of his pride in how beautiful his hair was because that was mentioned earlier. And that could be, it could just be the tree has a, a 
little Y in it, and he is stuck in that Y, okay? Oh my gosh. Okay, so it also says in Deuteronomy, there's a law about when you execute somebody. And if you execute them and you hang them in a tree, you can't leave them up in the tree overnight because it brings shame on the land. And so without anybody realizing they were doing it, when Jesus is hung on the cross, shame would be brought on the land if he were left up there over the Sabbath. And so Joseph of Arimathea gets brave and goes and asks Pilate, who could have Joseph killed just like that, hey, can we take down his body? He says, yes. And there's no shame put on Israel that night because the body wasn't left up. Isn't that wild? So the day Jesus died, even in his death, he was, God was working to, uh, to remove shame. So here's Absalom. He's hanging in a tree. You got shame. His kingdom has run out from him. He may or may not be hanging because of his pride. And somebody sees him. So every way this looks, it looks terrible, right? There's a guy hanging in a tree, flailing. There's battle going on. There's all kinds of people getting eaten by wild animals. There's all kinds of people falling off of cliffs. The battle is brutal. And somebody spots Absalom hanging in a tree. So what would you do? Would you be like, this is it? This is my chance? Well, when they all marched out to battle, King David starts putting on his gear. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. you can't go fight. You, you got to stay here. He's like, uh, no, I'm leading my army. They're like, King, they would be happy to kill all of us. They don't care. They just want to kill you. So you stay here. And he says, okay, but let me cheer you guys on. So he goes to the gate and all the armies marching out. And King David says, if you see Absalom, deal with him mercifully. Show my son mercy. So everybody in the army hears, treat my son with mercy. And so you're out in the battle and you look over and there's the king's son kicking and hanging. What do you do, right? So this guy has this choice and he goes and he tells Joab, oh shoot, <laughs> of all the people he could have told, Joab is probably the worst, yeah. Joab says, you saw him, why didn't you kill him? I would have given you 10 pieces of silver. And the dude's like, no way. If you gave me a thousand pieces of silver, I'm not going to kill him. Because I know that you wouldn't protect me from the king if word got to the king that I was the one that killed him. This guy knows that Joab is like a double crosser too. So Joab goes and he finds him. And it says that he threw three javelins at him. Knocked him out of the tree, and then 10 men came and killed him. There's some rabbis that say that uh, Joab went up and hit him three times to knock him out of the tree. Could be. Not everybody agrees with that. The thing that's wild is nobody knows who killed Absalom. Like, sure, Joab threw these spears 
and 10 people finish the job, but nobody really knows who did it. And that's just what Joab needs. Because if he's going to go back to King David and say Absalom's dead, he's, he doesn't want to say that he did it, that he did the job, right? It's so wild, you guys. This, this stuff, um, you know, you can make a little diagram about King David and all the things that happened in this event and the whole tree thing and the stabbing and the killing. When they kill Absalom, they took his body and they threw it down a cliff and then they covered him with rocks. And he is, he is really, really dead, right? And it says, uh, let's see, skip down to verse 16. Joab blew the trumpet, the trumps came back, the troops came back, everybody heard, everybody knows the battle is over, everybody goes back to their homes. They threw a great heap of stones. Israel fled, everyone to his own home. Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name and it's called Absalom's monument for that day. They put that little blurb in. You might remember, wait, didn't Absalom have three sons and a daughter that he named after his sister? But he put a monument up to himself that he's not going to have any descendants. So the theory is that this doesn't have anything to do with biology. <laughs> the point is Absalom doesn't have an ascend, a descendant that will be on the throne. He is not his kingdom. When God made a promise to King David, I will always have a, one of your descendants on the throne. Absalom was grieving because he realized it's not going to be him. It's almost like this whole time he knew he would not become the king in Israel because he put up this monument that he would have no heirs to take over for him. Isn't that wild? So this whole mess, just to, I mean, really bring it to 2023, this whole mess is a very dysfunctional family. This whole rage of Absalom and taking his dad's concubines and warring and having so many army and he never even had confidence that he would succeed and be the true king in Israel. That is a harsh, that is a harsh end to Absalom. So you can get, sometime you might be reading along and you're like, I think I'm just going to pray the Psalms. And uh, you get to Psalm 3 and you read the little heading at the top. And you can really, hopefully you can really appreciate it now. Psalm 3 says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So this whole time that he's been fleeing up until this battle, this was David's prayer. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Many thousands of people, 20,000 died in this battle. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Notice nowhere in there does he call out his son. You know, it says in Ephesians that we battle against flesh and we don't battle against flesh and blood, but in pow- against powers and principalities. There's times where somebody might do us wrong and we might think, gosh, they are just stinking evil. Oh, and here is King David and his own son has rebelled against him and taken 20,000 of his his kingdom army and, and died. And he is still not attacking Absalom directly. Isn't that wild? This is why we call Jesus the son of David. But David did mourn and he did grieve. So they come, these two guys, it's kind of complicated. These two guys come with the news for David. The battle's over. It's all over. The fight's over. And David knows what that means, right? He knows if it's Absalom leading the rebellion, Absalom at the best has surrendered. But I don't think it means that he surrendered. And then another messenger comes and says, may everybody who ever opposes you, may their end be like that man. And then that hits, right? If this guy's wishing curses on all my enemies and that they would all die like he did, he died some terrible way. He doesn't even hear the details of it, but it's terrible. And then he goes off and he mourns and he grieves And everybody goes home from the battle sad. Nobody knows who won. And they all go back. It's like when the vets came back from Vietnam and nobody respected them. And it was like a disgrace. It's a disgrace on Israel. They're all sad. And then Joab. (laughs) We can make a whole movie. And then Joab. Joab bursts into the king's quarters He's like, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? And King David's like, Absalom, you know, he's writing Psalms. He's writing poetry, grieving. And he's like, King, if you don't go out there and thank your men for fighting for you right now, they will turn against you tonight. And the rebellion we just had will be nothing compared to the rebellion we will have tomorrow. (laughs) Some people think Joab was threatening. Some people think that that was Joab subtly saying, I will take your kingdom tomorrow if you don't thank your soldiers who fought for you, which would have been a whole crazy thing. So then David goes out and thanks them all, returns to Jerusalem. I'm skipping. If you're looking in the scripture at this, you'll tell I'm skipping a whole lot of chapters. David comes back to Jerusalem. And there is a party and there is a shout and all of these people come and they're like, oh, we are so glad you're back. One of them is Shimei. You guys remember Shimei? Shimei, as David left, he was throwing dirt at King David and throwing mud at all of his men and cussing him out and cursing him. And David didn't kill him. Now they're coming back in and Joab is like, can I kill him now? Shimei is falling on his face saying, I'm so sorry, king. David says, nobody's going to die today. This is a day of celebrating. So they don't kill him. Do you guys remember Mephibosheth? 
Mephibosheth, Ziba shows up when they're leaving. They're like, Ziba, where's Mephibosheth? He's like, he thinks he's going to get his kingdom back. Mephibosheth shows up. Dude hasn't brushed his teeth or shaved or taken a shower ever since King David left. So I'll let you imagine what that's like in 1000 BC. He says, what are you doing, Mephibosheth? Why are you so trashed? He says, I was grieving that you had left and my servant got a donkey and left me here. So now David doesn't know who to believe. King Saul probably would have killed them both. Absalom probably would have killed them both. King David says, you guys can split all your inheritance and all your riches. And it's a big party. Last thing he does when he comes in, there's this guy that shows up as they're crossing. Remember the Manaheim place where they gave him all the food and gave him the jars and gave him the butter and gave him the cheese? This dude's 80 years old. And King David says, you have taken good care of us. Come back with us. And he says, dude, I'm 80 years old. My taste is shot. I can't even enjoy like singers and dancing. But take my son. Take my son and take care of him. And King David says, I will. I will make sure he is always feasting at my table to pay you back. You guys, we're not going to talk about it yet. But when we get to the last words of David, all of these people come up again. And all their fate is decided forever. And if you want to read it on your own, you can skip to the end. of uh, It's right at the beginning of 1 Kings. And it's crazy. But all of these people represent a proxy. Represent somebody serving in somebody else's place. Somebody getting a blessing in somebody else's place. Somebody getting a curse in somebody else's place. And all of that points to Jesus too. All of the ways that Jesus died in our place. All of the ways that Jesus took a curse in our place. All of the ways that we receive blessings that we don't deserve in Jesus's place. It's even built up back here in 1000 BC. So the guy's name is Chim Ham. That'll be your word for the day. Chim Ham is the son of the guy. Chim Ham gets to go and live with King David for a really long time. And um, all of this ends. We're, we're going to end at, Second Samuel, at the end of 2 Samuel 19. There is one little group. You know how at the end of the movie, they had that one little thing happens that lets you know that there's going to be a sequel? Do you think Hollywood made that up? No way. 1000 BC, it happens right here. All the men of Israel came to the king and said, Why have our brothers and the men of Judah stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. There's this fight. Why did you guys run off with the king and not stay and fight? Hmm, he's not our king anymore. And then they go off. And that is how it ends. The men of Israel answered the men of Judah. We have 10 shares in the king. In David also, we have more than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So the split between Israel and Judah has begun. Do you guys remember when I said David and Bathsheba is like the event 
maybe the, the second biggest event in the whole Old Testament, David and Bathsheba causes the, the rebellion of Absalom. Rebellion of Absalom causes Israel and Judah to crack like this. And this division that begins right here in this verse is going to take us all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, all the prophets. So Jesus is at work in all of it. He is doing the thing. He is still busy, even in all this drama. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much that even in world events and all kinds of crazy politics and in all kinds of dysfunctional families, you are at work. That you would bring your son Jesus to be born in a, a Roman occupied, terrible, split up place. And even there that he could die for our sins, raise from the dead and give us everlasting life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you at work, that you would help us to see your great moves, even in kingdoms, even in little families, and that we would worship you and hold on to you. And just like David said in Psalm 3, see you as our, as our sword and our shield and our hope. We love you, Lord. Amen.